Hey, thank you for joining us on Tetelestai. I'm doing a special broadcast on Sunday afternoon, October the 15th. It is 4.35 in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know the world has changed a great deal in the last week. On Saturday, October the 7th, Israel was attacked viciously, demonically, barbarically by Hamas terrorists. Uh, they were caught off guard. Hundreds and hundreds of people uh, were slaughtered. Uh, it's I think the death count now is over thirteen or fourteen hundred. Um, numbers of them taken captive and taken back into Gaza. Brutally murdered uh, women, children, babies, elderly people. Um, as one Israeli said, this makes Hitler's gas chambers look like kindergarten kids play. Um, it took place on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. It was the end of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the beginning of Simchat Torah, which was the eighth day of the feast. And uh, this uh, was significant. It was a Sabbath. People were resting and they were attacked by the terrorist organization from Gaza, Hamas. A lot of questions have been asked since Saturday. A lot is transpiring. As I'm recording this now, Israel is geared up for a land invasion, incursion into Gaza. They are committed to eliminating, eradicating Hamas. Of course, as you would expect, all of Israel's enemies are launching threats at her Iran in particularly threatening to come against her if she makes the ground incursion. Hezbollah on the northern front is taunting, harassing, shooting missiles back and forth. They've not, you know, engaged fully yet with Israel. There's talk that Syria is trying to amass its forces. Um, you've got a refugee issue in Gaza where people are trying to flee Gaza and have been told by Israel, leave the northern part of the country. They're trying to make some exit corridors for them. Um, there is a great deal of fake news about what has been done, what's going on over there currently right now. One of the things that is really important, if you're going to get any news, try to find somebody that's local there who is, from my perspective, a believer um, and who can give an unbiased, honest account of what's happening on the ground. I found out very quickly when my family and I lived overseas in a third world country in Central America, the news as it was reported here uh, about what was happening down there or in other places that we were familiar with is completely twisted and it is most of the time 90 to 95 percent inaccurate you will see a whole different perspective from somebody who's actually on the ground in a place who knows the people and the culture and the situation firsthand to get an honest accurate report of what's really actually transpiring so if you're going to get news look for somebody that's on the ground over there and can give a an unbiased point of view obviously from when i say unbiased i mean an honest report of what's actually taking place 
Um, and you don't want to get it from Al Jazeera. You don't want to get it from, uh, you know, anybody that's a Muslim, obviously, because you're certainly not going to get anything honest in that perspective either. But a lot of people are asking a lot of questions. What does this little, this war that's opened up now, what does it mean? What is the significance of it? And my podcast today is going to be a little longer than normal uh, because I just want to get this information out to try to give some perspective as to what's transpiring and taking place. You know, the book of Psalms has a lot of psalms of worship, psalms of praise. It has psalms where they are begging and pleading with God to come to their aid because of the attacks of their enemy. Many times the psalms are recounting the mighty supernatural acts of God defeating their enemies in the past and reminding the children of Israel of God's love for them and his protective power over them. Psalm 83 is a psalm that is one of that kind. It is a a psalm of praise, but it is a psalm praying to God, asking God for his protection from the enemies that surround Israel. Now, some people uh, like to say this psalm is a prophecy of some sort of a war that is going yet future at the time of the writing by Asaph uh, that's going to happen to Israel. There is, I don't see any indication here that this is prophetic. I see Asaph is remembering and recounting God's acts on behalf of the children of Israel to protect them from their enemies and how God has destroyed all the enemies that surrounded them and threatened their existence. Now, it may not be a prophecy of a future war, but it certainly is a pattern, as we've talked about, here in the last few weeks in the Torah and the writings and the prophets, there are patterns that are shown to us. There's a pattern here where Israel is surrounded and she is attacked by her enemies who want to completely, totally eradicate her from the face of the earth. What's happening today is not new. It has been around since God chose Israel to be his people. In fact, the disdain and assault on the people of God has been around since Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> and so we should not be surprised at what is taking place today. But just listen to the words of this psalm in Psalm 83. Take a little sip of coffee there. <laughs> um, Asaph says, God, do not be, keep silent. Do not hold your peace, O God. Do not be still, for look, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you lift up their head. Now again, ultimately, because Israel is God's people, and God has made promises to Israel that go back thousands of years, God does not break a promise, and Israel still has a place and a part to play in God's redemptive plan. Paul makes that very clear in Romans 9, 10, and 11. You cannot escape that reality. I don't. It, it's just there. But when you attack her, you're attacking him. Okay? So you make, make, make sure we're very, very clear about that. They make a shrewd plot, he says, against your people, conspiring against your treasured ones. Come, they say, let's wipe them out as a nation. Let Israel's name be remembered no more. This is the goal 
of the terrorists. This is the goal of Islam, to eradicate and remove the Jewish state and the Jewish people from this planet. For with one mind do they plot together. Against you do they make a covenant, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, even Assyria, which is now modern-day Iran, has joined them, becoming a strong arm for Lot's son. Notice that the Assyrians, the where modern-day Iran is, is a strong arm for Lot's sons. It's a strong arm for these nations. It's, it's backing them up. It's giving them support militarily, financially, morally, spiritually. Then he goes on to say, Do to them as you did to Midian, to Sisera and Jabin at the Kishon River, who perished at Endor. They became as dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. My God, make them like tumbleweed, like chaff before the wind. As a fire burns a forest and as a flame sets mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so that they may seek your name, Adonai. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever. Let them be humiliated and perish. Let them know that you alone, whose name is Adonai, are El Elyon, the Most High, over all the earth. This is certainly an applicable psalm for today, because again, here the psalmist tells us that Israel is surrounded by enemies all around her, and just like today, and these enemies only want one thing, they want Israel wiped out, they want Israel's name to be remembered no more. They've entered into agreement. They've entered into covenants with each other. They are committed to that very end. Now, as I said, the history of the war against God's people goes back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the serpent, and God told the serpent, Satan, that he would make a very special promise. Through the woman would come seed. That's right. The seed of the woman, he will crush your head, you will bruise his heel. He, singular, Jesus, the Messiah, would crush the serpent's head. From that moment on, any progeny that came forth from Eve and then down the line that sought after God, Satan had a target on their back. Very first brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was unrighteous. Abel was righteous. Satan did not know who the promised seed would be. So he knew righteous Abel was potential. So Cain killed Abel. You have wickedness proliferating throughout the earth as we progress forward in the history of the scripture. You come to Genesis 6 and you see that wickedness and violence was filling the earth. We also see that Satan sought to corrupt the human race through the intermingling of angelic beings. Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the sons of God coming into the daughters of men, producing an offspring in a race known as Nephilim, which were the giants, the men of renown. And again, this proliferation, this corruption that entered in, that brought judgment on those angelic beings, as well as judgment ultimately 400 some years later on the earth through the flood in Noah, this was a designed plan of the enemy to corrupt mankind to stop the seed from coming. Well, as we move 
beyond the flood, after Noah and his family exit the ark, Genesis chapter 12, you have God picking a man. God basically, we are told in the book of Deuteronomy that God basically disinherited all the other nations and he made Israel his inheritance, the one nation out of the earth. He chose Israel to be his people and he did that with a man from right in the midst of the paganism named Abram. And Abraham he would be God's chosen man. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God makes some very specific promises to Abraham. He says, Then Adonai said to Abram, Get going out from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great, so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, there are three diff distinct calls in that passage of Scripture. There is a personal call to Abraham to follow God. There is a national calling that God gives to the nation of Israel. And he gives it through through Abraham, there's a land that he's going to give him. And that nation has a purpose. That nation has a purpose to be a blessing. And there is a calling through that nation that's going to go out globally. A global calling for all the families, all the nations of the earth to be blessed. Abraham, to Israel, to all the earth. Three distinct callings. And God is going to give Israel a land. Now, we should not be surprised that Israel and Jerusalem are the focus of the attention of the world. God told the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, the prophecy of the word of Adonai concerning Israel. Thus says Adonai, who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of reeling to all the surrounding peoples, and it will also be in Judah the siege against Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the peoples, and all who try to lift it will be severely wounded, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered together against it. We should not be surprised that Israel is the focus of attention because God said in the latter days this would be what would happen. All the focus of the earth would be upon that part of the world. This is why when this attack started, Abraham is called. And of course, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. 12 sons go down to Egypt. They grow. They multiply. They become a great nation in Egypt. Pharaoh becomes fearful. He knows the stories of a deliverer, and ultimately Moses is born. He destroys all the firstborn. Moses is preserved. Moses is eventually called by God to go and deliver the people of Israel out of the land of bondage. Takes them through the Red Sea, and then on the way to Mount Sinai, they encounter an individual, a king, that is going to play a very special role in the hatred of Israel. His name is Amalek. Now, it's interesting, in the Hebrew, the word Hamas means violence. 
Now, I know the term Hamas for the terror group that's a, you know, across the has significance to them, but literally Hamas in Hebrew means violence. And that's more, it's a fitting name. You know, last weekend they took young men, women, little children, even babies, the elderly and the frail. When the children of Israel were coming out, headed toward Mount Sinai, the Amalekites, when they attacked him, did just exactly that. They picked on the weaker ones who were trailing behind, the children, the infirm, the elderly, and God did not forget that. There's the same spiritual hatred today, the same spirit of Amalek. It is a spiritual it is a spiritual hatred. It is a demonic hatred. It is in the spiritual realm. This same spirit raises its ugly head again today, and it has raised its ugly head throughout history against the Jewish people. We are not, as the Apostle Paul said, fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against powers and principalities in the unseen realm. This is a spirit that we're dealing with who is using human agents to carry out its desires. Now, in Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, concerning this, God said, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Israel was told to remember this. Now, Amalek, comes and he attacks them. And it's interesting that the history with Amalek, God declares when they they entered into a battle with Amalek in Exodus chapter 17. And it says that Joshua overpowered the Amalekites and his army with the edge of the sword. Adonai said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the hearing of Joshua, for I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. Then Moses built an altar and called the name Adonai Nisi. Then he said, By the hand upon the throne of Adonai, Adonai will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Interesting. God says, I'm going to blot out his name, but I'm going to have war with him from generation to generation. This same spirit. But ultimately, Amalek's name is going to be blotted out from under the memory, from under heaven. Again, the Amalekites kept coming back. They were continually waging war against Israel during the time of the judges, Deborah, Gideon, Samson. They arose again to terrorize in the time of Saul and David. At one point, they led a raid against David's camp at Ziklag. And just like Hamas, they took wives, they took children, they took plunder. But then, through God's help, David was able to recover everything. But here's what's interesting. King Amalek was long dead, but these, and this is hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact. But in the book of Esther, while the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, there was a man named Haman. And Haman was seeking and hatching a plot to commit genocide against the Jewish people. He wanted them annihilated and had persuaded the king Xerxes to, to follow his plan in order to annihilate and kill and wipe out the whole Jewish people there. And the situation looked bad. 
I mean, the entire people, though, they fasted in sackcloth and ashes for three days. They prayed against the genocide. And God raised up Esther to go in with courage, speak to the king on behalf of her people, and she saved the day. But here's what's interesting. Haman is a direct descendant of Amalek. He's an Amalekite. That's right. So that same spirit was active today or that day and in that time. The spirit of Amalek still continues from generation to generation to generation, breathing out murderous threats and constantly attempting to wipe out Israel for good. The Holocaust, that was just another appearance of Amalek, the spirit of Amalek and its hatred for the Jews. That's what we're fighting. Hamas is a terror group, but it has human agents, but the spirit behind it is demonic. Saw the same thing when Herod sought and killed all the firstborn there in Bethlehem. We also know that war has been declared by the powers of darkness against the people of God. Revelation 12.4 talks about the dragon sweeping away a third of the stars of the heaven and hurled them to the earth. Now the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that whenever she gave birth, she might he might devour her child. This is, again, the birth of Jesus through the, through the nation of Israel. And he slaughtered, had the children slaughtered. But then going down to verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, for the devils come down to you with great rage, knowing that his time is short. Now when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he stalked the woman who had given birth to the male child, Israel. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly away from the presence of the serpent into the wilderness, the place where she's taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. From the mouth of the serpent, the serpent spewed water like a river after the woman in order to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the aid of the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon became enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. Yes, that's right. He has made war since that time. The spirit of Amalek, the demonic spirit, the demonic hatred for the children of Israel has manifested itself throughout history. But you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been grafted into the nation of Israel. We are that wild olive branch that we've talked about over the last several weeks, and we have become partakers of the blessing of Abraham. Uh, we don't replace Israel, not at all. That is a false demonic theology and opens the door and has opened the door for a great deal of anti-Semitism throughout history. Now, God made a promise. He told Israel back in Deuteronomy that if they sinned against him and they rebelled and they broke covenant with him, that he would scatter them all over the face of the earth. They would be booted out of the land. They would be scattered to the four winds. And that's exactly what happened to them after the exile. And then finally, after the Bar Kokhba rebellion in 135 AD, Israel lost Jerusalem, everything gone. They, they, were, they were removed. Interestingly enough, during that time, the name of Israel and that part of the land was changed by one of the Roman leaders to Palestine. Hmm, hmm, interesting, huh? Anyway, God did say he would scatter them, but he made a promise to them that wherever you are on the face of the earth, I will find you and I will bring you back here. 
Jeremiah 31 through 3, the word of God came to Jeremiah from Adonai, saying, Thus says Adonai, the God of Israel, Write all the words that I have spoken to you in a scroll, for behold, the days are coming, declares Adonai, when I will return my people Israel and Judah from exile, declares Adonai, I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they will possess it. God says, I'm going to bring them back. And he did bring them back. He has brought them back. They are making Aliyah there to Israel. They are coming from all over the world. They have been since 1947 and 1948. But it's interesting. God not only says, I'm going to bring them back, but the birthing of their land is going to be supernaturally instant. Notice what he says in Isaiah 66, 7-9. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Will I bring the moment of birth and not give delivery, says Adonai? Will I cause delivery? Will I, who cause delivery, shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy for her, with her, all you who are mourned over her. God said a land would be born in a day. And that's exactly what happened when Israel became a nation. In one day, God brought her back. He has brought her back to the land. But the hatred by her surrounding neighbors still continues. Now, I'm sure as you've listened to the news and you read things on the Internet, you hear a lot of words thrown around. Words like Zionism, anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, jihad. Uh, you hear the, the, the term caliphate being used. And you wonder sometimes, what does all that mean? Uh, what's the significance of all of that? Well, Zionism, it's a term that was coined back in 1890 uh, by Nathan Birnbaum. And the definition of simply means the Nash, it was a national movement for the return of the Jewish people to their homeland and the resumption of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel. Zionism since 1948 has come to include the movement for the development of the state of Israel, the protection of the Jewish nation in Israel through the support for the Israeli defense forces. We Zionism is simply saying Israel has a right to the land to self-rule, and to protect herself because it is her nation. Anti-Zionism is against that. People are against them having their own land. They're against them having their own rule. They're against them having their own nation. Semitism, anti-Semitism is the same thing. It's simply Jew hatred. And that has had a, you know, that's been around every century in all over the world. You can find it. Now, the term jihad, jihad means holy war for the Muslim. You see, in Islam, that is a central doctrine that calls on the believers to combat the enemies of their religion. According to the Quran and the Hadith, jihad is a duty that may be fulfilled in one of four ways, by the heart, the tongue, the hand, or the sword. Now, Islamic scholarship divides the world in two. One side, there's the House of Islam. That is Dar al-Islam, nations ruled by Sharia law. 
Then there's the house of war, Dar al-Harb, nations in rebellion against Allah, who is their moon god. Yeah, that's right, moon god. It is incumbent on Dar al-Islam to make war upon Dar al-Harb until all the nations submit to the will of Allah and accept Sharia law. In the book, the Quran, chapter 61, verse 9, he it is who has sent his messenger, Muhammad, with guidance and the religion of truth, which is Islam, to make it victorious over all religions, even though the infidels may resist. Jihad is the force that gives Islam meaning. They are allowed to make war and bring people in subjection by the power of the sword. And if they don't convert, and you have a choice, your choice is either to submit and believe and commit to Islam or to resist and die. That's it. Period. You hear the term caliphate. What is a caliphate? Well, caliphate's a united federal Islamic government for the Muslim world and it's ruled by an elected head of state or a one who is called a caliph. Gaza is a mini caliphate. It is under Sharia law. It is ruled by a caliph, basically an elected head. Well, Gaza really didn't win free elections. They overthrew the former government. Um, but again, this is what you're dealing with here in Gaza. A caliphate that is ready to make jihad, war against the Jews, and eradicate them from the face of the earth. Now, anti-Semitism has been around since, again, forever. The sad thing is that much anti-Semitism has found its place in the church of all places. One of the first places we find it raising its ugly head was in some of the writings of the early church fathers. There were a lot of things they got right, but there are also, also a lot of things they got wrong, and this is one of them. Justin Martyr in 150 he believed and taught that the church replaced Israel as God's people. Uh, you know, in the early church, um, the, the, the church was Jew. It was Gentile. We are, as Paul said, the root of the tree is Jewish. The olive tree is a Jewish olive tree. We are wild olive branches that are grafted in. There were you know, council, the council of Nicaea under Constantine's oversight, formally disconnected Christianity from its Jewish roots and from Christian theology, from practice by separating celebration. One of the things was of Easter from the celebration of Passover. Um, Justin Martyr, when, as I said, when he had his dialogue with Trifo, the Jew on the heels of the Bar Kokhba uprising there in Israel, first called Palestine, as I said, in 135. Um, it was published, and Justin made a strong case from his perspective for a new Israel, a true Israel, who was replacing biblical Israel, or what is known as supersessionism. And that is church supersedes Israel, which is not true. If you start from the first century and move forward all the way to this century, you will find period after period after period of anti-Semitic attacks, Jewish hatred, uh, 
pogroms, which is genocidal acts against the Jewish people where nations, cities, countries sought to eradicate them, wipe them out, or kick them out. Um, Blood libels, where the Jewish people were persecuted. Blood libel is a false teaching that was started by crazy people years ago that said, oh, the Jews kill Christian babies on Passover and use their blood to, you know, cook their matzah in. Baloney. But they use that and use that in justifying killing and destroying the Jewish people. If the church had not left its Jewish roots and had stayed as the one new man that Christ created and not allow the wall of partition to be built up between it, and cut itself off from the Jewish people. If we had remained as God intended for us to remain, walking together as brothers, Hitler would have never been able to do what he did in the Holocaust. It would not have happened. But because of the false teaching of replacement theology, the door was wide open for him to commit his genocidal acts against the Jewish people. And the fact is, Hitler justified much of what he did based on the writings of Martin Luther and some of the early church fathers. And he himself said, I'm only finishing what Luther started. The Muslim hatred for the Jewish people finds its roots with Muhammad. Uh, He turned against them. He wanted them to acknowledge him as a prophet, and they refused to do so. Not only did they refuse to acknowledge him as a prophet, They refused to join him in some of his battles against uh, what he considered to be his enemies. As a result of them rejecting him, along with the Christians, rejecting him as a prophet, he persecuted them. Now, he easily subjugated them back during his day, and for quite a while, the Islamic peoples did not see them as a great threat whatsoever, until they got their nation. In In fact, you can do some research on this. Hitler was highly influenced by the Grand Mufti uh, there in the, uh, I believe it was in Jerusalem, um, who, and he, Hitler read a lot of Islamic writings. Again, it was anti-Jewish, uh, it was anti-Semitic, certainly a lot of Jew hatred in the Islamic writings. Um, but he turned against them, and of course, from the day Israel's nation was founded, her enemies have been around her seeking to destroy her and eradicate her and remove her from the face of the earth. There's a great video, five-minute video put out by Dennis Prager. Get it. He explains the situation very succinctly. Basically, he sums up the Middle East problem as this. One nation wants another nation dead. That's it. The Islamic Muslim nation around Israel want Israel dead. Sums it up very succinctly. But it's a great video. Look it up. Dennis Prager. The Palestinians don't want to stay, folks. And, and I'm not saying the Palestinian people in, in and of themselves individually. Many of them, they're innocent and they're caught in the middle of all this. Many of them uh, don't like the rule of Hamas in, in Gaza. They want out from under it. They simply want to live their lives in peace. They simply want to raise their children, have a good life, make a living. They simply want to exist in peace and harmony with Israel. They're not allowed to do that by Hamas. Many of them have to do some of the things they do out of fear at the end of a gun barrel. Um, But the fact is, Palestinian leadership, if they wanted a nation, they wanted a state, they have had 
multiple choices in order to do that. And they have rejected every single proposal given to them for their own land. 1947, 1949, 1967, 1978, 1994, 2000, 2008, 2014, and 2019. Nine different opportunities. If they really wanted peace in their own state, they would have it by now. You must understand, this holy war, they are going to settle for nothing less than the eradication of the Jewish people and the nation-state of Israel. Now, there's an oft-used phrase with jihadists, and you know they you need to be reminded of this because this is where they make their intentions extremely clear they put it on flags and they leave it written on walls many times in their wake and it translates as this quote first we kill the saturday people and then the sunday people on saturday we kill the jews on sunday we kill the christians on saturday we massacre the jews on sunday we massacre the christians this is their goal. They are commanded to kill and destroy all the infidels. They are allowed to lie. They are allowed to deceive. They are allowed to do a lot of things in order to get into position to kill. Period. That's it. Last weekend and throughout this week, you, you see and in these protests, people chanting, parliaments chanting in Middle Eastern countries, death to Israel and death to America. Because they see us, as you've heard before probably, as the great Satan. They are commanded to do jihad. All the world, they said, must be brought under the authority of Islam. That is what they are committed to. Remember, this is spiritual warfare at its heart. These people don't care about the Palestinian people. They really don't. The leadership there... Even watching yesterday as they were trying to flee south down the corridors for protection and to escape in the southern part of Gaza and leave the northern part. They were putting up blockades trying to keep people from leaving. Um, they don't care. They don't care about one another. Look at all the Arab states in the Horn of Africa and in the Middle East. I think it's over 20 of them, 21 of them maybe. Not one of them have agreed to open their borders up to receive any Palestinian refugees. Not one that ought to tell you something. They don't care. These people are fodder for these terrorists. They're fodder for Iran. These are proxies for Iran, ultimately. And because Iran wants Israel eradicated, and they're willing to use Hezbollah, they're willing to use Hamas, they're willing to use all these other terror groups in order to accomplish their goal, the destruction of Israel. They simply stand in the background, fund it, help plan it, but they don't want to get their little fingers dirty, at least not yet. Because they will. Eventually, the scripture says so, and they will be destroyed in the process. This is really spiritual warfare at its very heart. Um, the adversary, Satan, hates the Jewish people. So where's all this headed? Well, we ask the question, why Israel? Why now? Jesus, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. He said, that in the latter times, right before his appearing, there would be all kinds of things that would happen. There would be you know, earthquakes. There would be famines. And he said there would be wars and rumors of wars. Nation against nation. Tribe against tribe. People against people. And it would be like a woman in labor. Birth 
pangs. And basically, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, he said, the quicker the birth pangs will come and the more intense they will be. Now, you know a birth pang is a contraction. That means the woman's uterus tightens up and it contracts very tight and it's painful because it's contracting in order to push that baby out. And then it relaxes and then contracts again. Well, the closer we get to the birth of a child, the more rapidly those contractions come and then boom, they relax again. Well, the contractions, and last weekend was definitely a contraction and right now what's happening is a contraction. But then the relaxation as it's happening is rippling out. Nations all around the world are having to make choices right now. Lines are being drawn in the sand and the nations are having to choose. Will you stand with Israel or will you stand against Israel? Why is this happening? Because we are moving ever closer to the return of the Messiah. Since last weekend, I have noticed in reading and listening to various people, their heart as they pray, and as they speak, there has been a very definite shift in the atmosphere spiritually. Again, what we're seeing happen on earth is simply a manifestation of things that are going on in the unseen realm. We know that from Daniel chapter 10, uh, the war that goes on in the heavenly realm, and then it manifests through human agents on this earth. Then there is a there is an intense war spiritually going on right now over the land of Israel and in that part of the world, and it's affecting the rest of the world. There are spiritual mega shifts coming and transpiring and taking place. You need to understand as a believer that ultimately at some point here in the United States, persecution is coming. There are going to be terror attacks here. Just reading even today, as I said, today's October 15th, the FBI director Christopher Wray is warning about Hamas-style attacks here on American soil. And we should not be surprised because we've had over between 4 and 5 million illegal immigrants enter this nation over the last several years through an unprotected border, many of them being from the Horn of Africa and the Middle East. Just recently, we've had a number of people from Syria, young men, military-age men from the nation of Syria coming in this nation. We don't know where these people are going. We don't know where they are. We've had known terrorists on terror watch lists that have made it through and have not been held back. Folks, we are being set up. These people are patient these people are not in a hurry. They will bide their time until the right moment to strike. And you can believe it is going to be as shocking, as brutal, and as surprising to us as it was to Israel when it happened last weekend. You will see those images on your news. You will see them on the internet. You will see them on TikTok. You will see them on Twitter. You will see them on Facebook when it happens. And it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. You need to be prepared. You need to be prepared physically. You need to be prepared emotionally. But more important than anything else, you and I need to be prepared spiritually in our walk with God for what is coming to steal ourselves for this. We need to be light in the midst of darkness. You know, Isaiah saw something in Isaiah 60, 1 and 2, and he prophesied these words. God said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Adonai has risen on you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. Notice this. Darkness is covering the earth. 
deep darkness, thick darkness. And right now, folks, darkness is beginning to envelop the world in ways you haven't even conceived of yet. And again, you'll be shocked by the manifestation of that darkness in the days to come. But, he says, Adonai will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you, and nations will come to your light and kings to the brilliance of your rising. In the midst of this great, vast darkness, this heavy darkness that Isaiah says is here, we need to shine as bright lights for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. More than anything, right now, you need to pray. You need to pray for wisdom, for discernment for the leaders and nations around the world as they respond to the situation in Israel. You need to pray for the leaders in Israel. You need to pray for the military leaders in Israel. Listen, they have a responsibility and a God-given mandate, according to Romans chapter 13, to protect their people, to defend their people. God gave every government the mandate to punish evil and evildoers, to bear the sword against them, and to protect those who do good. That is the responsibility that governments have, and Israel has that responsibility for its people, to take up the sword and to protect her, and pray that they will be wise in what they do. We need to pray for a collective effort towards peace and for de-escalation. We also need to pray against fear and division that can fuel conflicts. Pray that the spirit of love and reconciliation will prevail. It'll bridge divides. It'll bring understanding. You also need to pray against the influence of sleeper cells because, as I said, they are here. They are in every country, UK, throughout Europe. Uh, they are here in the United States and waiting simply for a word to activate and to go into action and if there is prepared as i think they are and as most people in law enforcement know they have a specific mission they have a specific place they have a specific group of people that they are here to target and they will go when they are told to go well we need to pray that these sleeper cells will be exposed that God will uncover them and will intervene in their hearts as well and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for an end to the violence and for healing for everyone who has been affected by the conflict. I cannot imagine how difficult it would be to be a father and having seen my child mutilated, slaughtered, beheaded, and then having to be able to extend forgiveness to those who killed my child. It would need a lot of grace from the Lord to do that and a lot of healing for their hearts. We also need to pray for believers in Israel and in Gaza and around the other Arab nations. There are many believers there, folks, Arab and Israeli. Pray that God would have an impact through them. Grant the opportunity for them to share the gospel, that there would be open and receptive hearts to hear the message of the good news of Jesus from them. We need to see the kingdom of God come in the midst of it so they can rub the devil's face right in it. Um, just if Jesus wants to come to those terrorists who are hiding in Gaza right now through dreams or visions, which he's been doing throughout the Middle East in many Islamic countries, revealing himself that way to Muslims. 
pray that he will do what needs to be done, both for Jew and for Arab, revealing himself in the kingdom, his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Only the Lord knows what lies ahead. We, we, we can't see. We, we, can, we can make prognostications, and most of the time we end up being wrong a lot of times. Um, and again, this is an issue that is complicated, certainly. But it's not complicated, even as I mentioned Dennis Prager's video, when you simply understand one nation, one group of people, one another group of people, dead and eradicated. Bottom line. Pray. Be prepared. And continue to walk daily with Christ. Tune your heart to His Word. Listening to His Word. Be the disciple you need to be right here where you are. Why Israel? Why now? Because Israel is at God's heart. He, they, they are His heart. He loves them. They are chosen. They are elect according to Paul for the sake of the fathers, Abraham and Isaac. God has a special place for them. Because of that, Satan hates them and wants to destroy them. Why now? Because we are getting close to the return of the Messiah. Pray and be prepared. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours both now and evermore.